be talking about superstitions, but we're also going to be diving into a lot of other areas. And my goal for this, the end of this session is that you'll have a better understanding of why gymnasts are so superstitious, how superstitions can impact performance, why gymnasts need to conserve brain power, how they can conserve that brain power and then recharge as needed as well, why gymnasts need to take ownership of their gymnastics, and how the, to tell the difference between a routine and a superstition, because there's a little bit of a difference there. So I was a gymnast myself for 15 years, was a level 10 for five years, I competed collegially at Rutgers, um, where I got my degree in psychology. And from there, I worked jobs in the mental health field, um, as well as coaching off and on, because as an ex-gymnast, that's what you do. <laughs> you always end up back in the world somehow. Um, and about gymnast mindset, so the gymnast mindset program, like I said before we were talking earlier, it's been created by gymnasts for gymnasts. So we've taken a core curriculum and applied that specifically to the sport of gymnastics because there's a lot of different elements to the sport. We get it, we've been there, we understand that, you know, it's that feeling before you get up on the beam at a big meet or what it feels like to get up after you fall on your release move um, or to watch your teammates work out while you're stretching on the sidelines with an injury. And our main thing is this program is not therapy. It's not counseling, it's not lecturing. We really, really want to make this interactive with our athletes so that they get a lot more out of it, that they're really participating throughout this process, that they're committing to that. Um, we offer interactive exercises and worksheets and a lot of times we'll talk about a strategy, we'll brainstorm a strategy and I'll say, okay, go try to practice tonight. Let me know, let me know how it goes. Um, I encourage my girls to treat it like science experiments. Every girl's a little bit different and understand that this strategy that worked for her might not work for this other gymnast. So go try it, see what helps, give it some, some time, and we can always go back to the drawing board. But we wanna treat it as strength training for the mind in the sense that this is gonna be consistent, this is something that you're gonna be doing on a regular basis, not just what I did as a gymnast where every so often we would sit down for 15 minutes and be told that we should be visualizing or we should be goal setting or, or whatever. We want this to be something that is as integral to their training as flexibility, strength, technique, drills, all of that other good stuff. So for you guys, how much of gymnastics do you feel like is mental? If you had to give it a percentage. 80, all of it. Those are pretty common answers. I had a girl I was talking to the other day and she said eight and I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, no, like eight out of 10. I'm like, okay, that sounds about more right. <laughs> I was like, wait, you're throwing me off here. Um, but I agree. So that being said, let's say the sport is 80% mental. How often do your gymnasts do regular mindset training? Raise your hand if you feel like they're doing some mental exercises on a weekly basis. Yeah, right, which is tough, which is the other point, that you encourage it, but it's not a part of the program because you have a million other things you're doing. That you as a coach or as a gym owner or as both, you have a lot on your plate. You're managing the conditioning and the flexibility and making sure you have a dance teacher and you're there with the girls hours and hours and hours. And oftentimes, how many times have you had where you tell a girl 
the same thing over and over and over, and someone else tells her that same thing, and she listens to them. Yeah. Right. It happens a lot. So that's where we're able to come in as that third party and say, you know, maybe we're spreading those same messages. Maybe it's in a slightly different way. Maybe it's just a different person delivering that. I don't have to be there with them. I get to be, you know, I don't have to be bad guy all the time. I don't have to be the one, you know, and see that frustration when they're having those mental blocks that we can work through it from a different perspective. So, like I said, we, you know, there's a lot of components to the sport, stuff that you guys are touching on anyway, but how often have we also had where we have a girl, she's super talented, super strong, gorgeous gymnast, but she chokes when she gets to competition. And it's so hard to watch that as a coach. It's hard to watch that as a parent, but it's especially difficult for the gymnast to feel like she's coming up against that, that I train hard day in and day out for what? What if I can't show it on meet day? So if the mindset portion is not there, we're holding them back. Um, so like I said, we want this to be systematic. We want this to be consistent. I'm assuming you don't say, hey, go condition for like, I don't know, 30 minutes and come back to me in a little while. No, you say, go do this many handstand push-ups, go do this many leg lifts, do this hollow hold, do whatever. You're very strategic about it. And you do that to build the whole body, to make sure they have what they need to be able to do these crazy skills. And we want mindset training to be the same way. We want it to build on itself. We want to give them the tools so that they have that mental strength to move forward. So superstition is one of the many areas that we're able to address through gymnast mindset. And that's something we're getting into today. Um, overall in sports, I feel like superstition is something that's common in general. And we kind of joke about it a lot. Maybe you wear a certain shirt to watch your favorite football team, you know, and it's something that's kind of become part of the culture. Our girls are getting caught up in that. And um, what the, the question of why that's happening becomes a little bit more interesting. So why do athletes turn to superstitions? The superstitious athletes are assigning meaning to things that worked before, thank you. Um, they're attempting to gain control through these superstitions. They're coping with the fact that the outcome isn't certain. There are no guarantees in sports. And they're putting that responsibility on someone, on something else or someone else, um, which is reasonable when you think about it because a lot of times picture being a 13-year-old girl and having to go up on a balance beam in front of a panel of judges and your family and maybe your friends and your teammates and your coaches, it feels better to say, you know, put that responsibility on something else. My mom didn't wear the right shirt. I didn't, my favorite hair tie broke. This wasn't right. The coach wasn't standing in the right place. Instead of accepting that responsibility and saying, maybe my training wasn't there. Maybe it was a dumb mistake. Maybe I lost my focus. Maybe that was on me. And it's hard to own that, and it's hard to take control of that. Um, and it's something that's totally reasonable, and we can see why it happens. So our goal then is to give them strategies to cope in other ways, so that they're not putting the value on some inanimate object or some other thing, that they're taking that ownership. So superstitions are just a part of sports, maybe. Do they really matter? Can they really affect performance? Are they just harmless? And like with most things, you know, it depends. And we'll get into that. 
We were talking about Simone Biles earlier and her take on this. They interviewed a bunch of different Olympic athletes and her, her take was on superstitions. When asked if she has superstition, she said, no, I think that can play with my head. I've just never picked any up along the way. And if she doesn't have any superstitions, <laughs> maybe we should look at that and follow that lead. Welcome. Um, so to better understand the difference between a harmless superstition and something that might be a little bit more problematic, we're gonna dive into some more concepts that we bring up throughout the Gymnast Mindset Program. And some of those key concepts are conserving brain power, maintaining focus, taking control, creating routine, thinking like a predator, which I'll explain a little bit more, and then applying those strategies overall. So gymnasts require a lot of brain power. There is a lot that goes into this sport. These movements, this is not running and kicking a ball. There's so much that goes into a tumbling pass, even a simple tumbling pass. Think of the mechanics of a round of hamstring layout. There's a lot required there. And your brain is doing that work and telling your body what to do. There's a lot happening at the same time. You're relying on that muscle memory. And there's constant adjustments. If my arms buckled in my back handspring, what am I gonna do to make sure I don't land on my head and my double back? How can I make that adjustment? How can I do that risk assessment on the fly? So we're requiring a lot from the brain. And a lot of time, stuff like the, the twisties or the balking comes up. I mean, I, I was there. I remember standing in the corner thinking, I don't know how to do a double full. Like on a rational level, I don't know how to do a double full. I stand there and I say, okay, I'm gonna do a double full this turn. And it happens. I run, I do the round handspring, but there's no rational part of me that understands. My brain knew how to do it, my body knew how to do it, and I had to just let that happen. Um, but if the brain is tired, then it's not gonna be able to keep up with those demands. It's not gonna be able to keep up with what we're asking it to do. So that's when a lot of the, the silly mistakes come in, that's when a lot of the fear comes in, and a lot of that self-doubt, that I don't know how to do gymnastics anymore creeps in when your brain's tired. So I compare, um, a lot of times, my one of my first calls with our new gymnasts on the program, we talk about how their brains are like their smartphones. And with a smartphone, if you are on it all day here at the conference, you're texting, you're emailing, you're taking pictures, you're switching back and forth between apps, then your battery drains a lot faster. And when it goes into low power mode, you lose some of the capabilities. Maybe you can't use Bluetooth, maybe the screen doesn't stay powered on as long. There's not as many um, utilities at your disposal. But with a smartphone as well as the brain, there's a limited capacity. You know, once you get to zero, it shuts off, you're done for the day, you need to go find an outlet and plug in, but you can recharge. So we, we think of the brain in a very similar way. Their brain battery can wear out, it can go into low power mode, and we'll need to recharge. So we can either, we can work on it from both angles of concerning, conserving brain energy and also how am I gonna recharge if I've drained my battery too much. And I've had gymnasts explain to me what it feels like when their brain battery is low. And they don't know of it in those terms, but I say if you're having a, a mental block or you're having a day where you're frustrated or you're, the fear's creeping in or the doubt's creeping in, what's going on? And they'll say, I don't know what happens, I black out. 
or I don't seem to have control over anything anymore, or I've forgotten everything I knew. I don't know how to do these skills anymore, um, or making silly mistakes. I, at a meet, I remember one of the silliest mistakes I made was falling on a straight jump where I did gainer layout and just like a little straight jump to get a connection. Gainer layout was fine. I fell on the straight jump. It was a dumb mistake. I lost focus. My brain was a little tired. I had amped myself up too much and was crashing off of that. Um, or, you know, they become extremely fearful of a skill that they've done a hundred times. And I've had that too, where they'll be like, I did, you know, I did my double back five times and now I can't go for it a six. I keep balking and I can't go and I can't start it. And it's not that you forgot how to do a double back. It's not that this needs to be a huge problem. It's that this stressed you out so much that after five, your brain is too tired and you need to walk away, figure out how to recharge. Come, if you need to come back today, come back after you recharge, or can you come back tomorrow? Can you just move past it and come back once you're a little more energized? Because like I said, we don't give our brain enough credit. It is communicating with our body in incredible ways. Um, and it doesn't want to perform those high stake tasks when it's out of battery. This is, this is something that is self-preservation. That your brain is saying, I'm not fully confident, I'm tired, and I don't want you to get to a point where you might land on your head and, and break your neck, right? There's a very rational fear that comes into this, and your brain goes into self-conservation mode, and saying, it starts to tell you that this is more dangerous than it actually is. Because hopefully, you know, we're not just pulling someone off the street and saying, hey, I want you to do a round off layout um, on beam, or handspring layout on beam, or a fool off of bars. No, you've trained for this. You've done the drills. You've gotten there. The risk assessment is actually lower than what your brain is telling you. So what drains the brains? Overthinking, fear, nerves, battling with their own thoughts. A lot of times my girls will say, I'll stand there and I'll be like, what if I fall? What if I don't make it? What if I don't know how to do this? And they say, what do you say next? Well, I try to pump myself up and say, I got this. No, you're fine. You know how to do this. You've done it a million times. And even that back and forth is like you being on your phone and switching back and forth and saying, Instagram, Candy Crush, Instagram, Candy Crush, like going back and forth and your phone is that that battery is going down, same way your, your mind is going down as well. Adrenaline, even getting psyched up, you know, it, it varies gymnast to gymnast, but not every gymnast needs to be at a super high energy level, even on meet day. That can be exhausting. Um, academics, I had a girl tell me that she only has good practices when the sun's out. And I, when the sun is out. And I said, do you mean weekend practices? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay. So weeknight practices, you're tired. You got there at six, seven o'clock at night. You had school all day. You had stuff going on. You're tired, your brain's tired. So what can we do? Can you get more sleep? Can you find ways to recharge throughout the day? Do you have a study hall where you can do something fun and enjoyable to kind of pick yourself up? What can you do on the car ride to practice, to re-energize a little bit? What can we do there? But don't just, it's not the sun's fault, right? <laughs> this isn't just some otherworldly thing. We want to give back that control to our gymnast. Um, and then superstitions as well can absolutely 
drain the brain. We don't want our gymnasts wasting precious brain energy, worrying about superstitions, worrying that everything is how it needs to be, or, you know, and, and they can start to become contagious. It starts out with one thing and all of a sudden they have 10 things that have to be just so. So another explanation of those energy levels, it is how we are wired that energy levels are gonna go in peaks and valleys. So especially on like competition day, we can't expect our gymnasts to be up here event to event to event to event. There, there's natural valleys that have to occur and we can be strategic about planning for those. So, you know, adrenaline's gonna peak when it's, you're standing there waiting to salute, you know, your adrenaline's up here and by the time you finish your routine, a valley's gonna follow. So how can we recharge so that we can be ready for another peak for the next event? This becomes extremely important when you get into men's gymnastics where I don't know how they get through six events of that. Those meets are marathons. It's crazy what we expect even young kids to be able to maintain. So for them, I don't want you to be in meet mode for the entire meet for hours and hours and hours all day. I want you to be able to relax in between. Um, so it's important to have those strategies to both conserve the energy and then to recharge as, as needed. So some of the ways that you can conserve mental energy is really simplifying. Reminding our gymnasts that it's, it's you and your routines. There's nothing else you need to worry about. We're, there's not a defender standing at the end of the vault runway waiting to block you for doing, from doing your Yurchenko, right? We don't have to worry about anyone else. And your coach isn't saying, okay, this is the routine that I want you to do today. You might change a skill, maybe, here or there, but for the most part, there's not different plays that you have to have in your head. It's your routines that you've been training day in and day out. So you don't need to worry about a lot of the excess stuff. Simplify it too, it's me and my routines. Conserve that mental energy. Use routines, and I use this in the other sense of the word, to be able to go into autopilot. So like before vault, I always do X, Y, Z. This is part of my routine. Um, and we're gonna get into a little bit that difference between this is my routine versus this is a superstition. Um, and then work, working on focusing on their self and avoiding distractions. So not looking at scores, not watching competitors' routines, not you know checking in with mom and dad, like just focusing on what they need to be doing. And then some of the ways to recharge, which is the other piece of this, that we want them to be having fun with teammates that we want them to be taking those deep breaths, working on calming thoughts, figuring out what works for them. Maybe there's certain music that really puts them in a good place, those positive affirmations, taking a moment away from the action when they can, and ultimately at the end of the day, reminding themselves that it's gymnastics. I had one of the worst events of my life at level 10 nationals one year. I believe I fell six times off of bars. Like, couldn't make it through. Like, one of those where it's like, cast handstand, fall over. Front jive, don't make it over. Straddle back, fall over. You know, and by the end, of course, I faced my dismount because I had fallen six times and had gotten up and whatever. So, at the end of that, that event, it was just gymnastics. That I went home, I had a roof over my head, that my parents still fed me that night. Like it wasn't, it wasn't this huge thing. No one at school even knew about it. You know, it was just, it's a sport at the end of the day. And bringing some levity to that 
that yes, this matters. Yes, we want success for you. Yes, this can lead to incredible things, but it's a sport and you're not gonna do it forever. Unless you coach and then you're stuck with it. Um, so, and again, really highlighting this point to your gymnast that superstitions distract you from the only thing that you need to be worried about, which is your own gymnastics. So in the program, we work with gymnasts to give them their own personalized routines and strategies. And like I said, every gymnast is gonna be a little bit different. So they're going to need an action plan. We want them to have pre-meet routines, stuff that they do leading up to the meet. We want them to have between event routines. Welcome. Um, we want them to have those cues, maybe physical or verbal cues that they can use to kind of put them in meet mode, put them in vault mode, bars, whatever. Um, and then incorporating elements of fun throughout as well. I was um, talking with the gymnast recently as well, and he said, think back to your last really great practice. What was going on? So it was fun. I was talking with my teammates. We were having fun. It was a summer practice. We were trying new skills. Everybody like was chucking their skills all of a sudden, and it was just this, it was fun. We were talking to each other, whatever. And I'm like, great. So I want you to take the lead and try to create that. That doesn't mean you have to be goofy and not focused and whatever, but I want you to incorporate, I want you to have fun while you're there because that is helping you in your training as well. So like I touched on briefly, routines are different than superstitions. And there's that big difference between having a consistent warm up or a pre-competition routine. I would assume that most of you guys, that your teams, when you head to a meet, you have a planned warm up that you do. You run around the floor so many times, you do cross patterns, whatever. You, you have it set, they know what they're doing. It's, um, and oftentimes it's something that they're doing in practice as well, which if you're not, I would definitely recommend that your practice warm-up is the same as your meet warm-up. Um, but there's a difference between that and then believing that everything has to be a certain way every time before or during a competition. The difference lies in that control. So do you control the superstition or does the superstition control you? Um, even though that superstition may feel right, we don't want you to leave yourself open to feeling lost if you don't have it. So we don't want you to second guess yourself because your purple hair tie broke. We don't want you to second guess yourself because mom couldn't be at this meet and you need mom to do, you know, be in this seat in the audience wearing this shirt and turned around backwards so she's not watching your B routine, which I heard at Region 8 Congress that <laughs> someone shared that story. Um, because those superstitions could be interrupted by the world at any time. So we want to prove, you know, we want our gymnasts to prove to themselves that, um, they don't control them. And it's okay, if girls, you know, there's something about like, I like to do my hair this certain way, or I like to wear this hair tie, or this pin, or, you know, I like to wear these socks headed to the meet. All of that is okay to some extent, as long as they're acknowledging that if I lose those socks, or leave them at the meet or whatever, that I'm not gonna be lost at the next one. That I acknowledge it for what it is, that it's just, something that's kind of fun, it puts me in meat mode, but I don't have to have it. I'm not assigning a ton of meaning to that. Because we want our gymnasts to stay in control. We want them to feel in control of their own thoughts, their own skills, their own destiny. Um, 
and we want them to understand their own brain so that their thoughts don't get away from them. Um, so talking about control, what are some things that your gymnast actually can control when it, in practice or meets? What are some examples that you guys have? How tight they stay. Their attitudes is a big one. <laughs> they have they don't believe they have control over that, but they do. Their eating and sleeping habits. Yep, eating and sleeping habits. It's another big one. Their ability to stay focused on themselves. Yep. Their ability to stay focused on themselves. Yep. So a lot of those things encompass that. And um let me see if I look here. I'm gonna go to this point first. So some of the things that they can't control, obviously, which I understand as a gymnast, you wish you could. You can't control the equipment. You don't know what you're gonna get. Maybe the bars are bouncy. Okay, what are you gonna do moving forward? Um, you can't control the judges. Oh, that beam judge is so hard. You know, I'm gonna get a terrible score. Okay, if you hit your routine. If you hit your routine, we'll call it a day you know, worry about what you can control. Um, competitors, it actually, you're not going head to head. You're not wrestling these other gymnasts. So it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing because you're not all of a sudden gonna get an upgrade on meet day just because your competitor has that skill. It's do what you know how to do, go do your job. Um, rotation is a big one where I'll talk to the girls and be like, I'll be fine as long as we don't start on beam. Well, there's a 25% chance you're gonna start on beam. So if you get that rotation, what are we gonna do? So that you're not panicking and throwing the whole meat away because you have to start on beam. You're gonna to have to do beam regardless. It really doesn't matter. Um, who's gonna be there? Grandma's coming to watch. Or my boyfriend's coming to watch or friends from school, you know, none of that. None of that, you don't have any control over that. That doesn't affect you. Um, so going back to that control thing and the superstitions, why we don't want that. I want our gymnasts to take credit for their own success. That if they hit a beam routine, I don't want them to say that, oh, it's because I had a rabbit's foot in my gym bag which was the thing when I was in high school. I don't know if that was just my team, but like the rabbit foot thing was big. Um, we want them to take credit. We want to say, no, you trained for that. You put in the reps, you put in that time. You managed your attitude. You managed your sleep the night before. You stayed focused. Own that. And if you fell, own that too and figure out how you can move forward. Because if you're placing the blame somewhere else, you're not going to improve. And athletes who believe that they're responsible for their performance actually have fewer superstitions than athletes who attribute their success and failures to those external factors. So working with our girls and trying to do that in a positive way, that maybe instead of saying, you know, that negative version of it, saying, when you hit, I want you to know that you did that. I want that to build your confidence moving forward and approaching it from that direction. So again, focusing on you is a big thing that we go into throughout the Gymnast Mindset Program. A lot of times we're bringing it back to that. What can you do? Okay? 
I, you know, teachers, well, I'm not doing well in this class because um, my teacher is a bad teacher. All right, maybe they are. What are you gonna do about it? You still have the book, you still have classmates, you have Google at your disposal, learn it yourself. You still want a good grade, you can't change the teacher, the teacher's not getting fired this semester, likely. What are you gonna do? Same thing in the gym. My coach, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna let it go in one ear and out the other? Are you gonna do what you know how to do? Are you gonna take a step back and, and take in what you can and leave the rest? What are you gonna do? Um, so obviously the word predator has a bad reputation, but the way that we're talking about this in the mindset program is predator animals, like those lions, tigers, bears. Lions, tigers, bears, all of those predator animals, they have eyes in the front of their head. Like us, we have eyes in the front of our heads. We are natural born predators. And then the prey animals have eyes on the sides of their heads. So they need to see almost the whole way around them to keep an eye out for the predator animals to make sure that they don't get eaten. So instead of, you know, we want those predator athletes as natural born predators to focus on what they're gonna do. We don't want them looking around and worrying about who's gonna eat them. We want them focused on their effort, their attitude, their aggressiveness, the things that they have control over. Because prey athletes, it gets, it gets noisy in your head if you're in prey mode, which we'll get to in a little bit. They're really preoccupied with a lot of the other elements that we talked about. And there's a lot of ways to think like prey, but there's only a few ways to think like a predator. That predator vision is much narrower and much more specific. So, prey thoughts. Imagine this being your head, and there's a lot of gymnasts that this is, this is what's running through their head on me day. Who are the judges? What teams are gonna be there? What are the other gymnast scores? Who's in the audience? What score do I need to get for X, Y, Z? What type of equipment's gonna be there? What if I make a dumb mistake? What if I get hurt? What event will we start on? What if warm-ups don't go well? What if I have to go first? What if I have to go last? Uh, how can I keep track of scores? What if I let my coach down? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are a million what ifs that we can start to go into in the prey mindset. But then the predator thought is, what do I need to do? In this moment, what do I need to do? It's not my turn yet. I don't need to be worried about that. I need to be recharging, I need to be calm, I need to be working on my mindset, I need to be you know, present, positive, and there. It's my turn? Okay, I need to work and focus on my skills. I need to do the routine that I know how to do. I need to get out of my own way and let that happen. But predator thoughts require laser-like focus on you and you alone, um, and focus remains only on the things that you can control, like we talked about because there's a lot going on on meat day. So we want to simplify that to help avoid the overwhelm, help avoid the mental fatigue. Um, when we're looking at simplifying meat day, we can go into those routines and action plans like I talked about. So, um, you know, what to do, when to do it, how to shift thoughts when needed, and really letting meat day be as simple as possible. But back to those superstitions. So are they harmless? Are they problematic? And like we talked about, gymnasts need to conserve brain power. They need to maintain focus. They need to take control. They need to think like a predator. And they need to simplify. And superstitions at all of those turns 
make those things more difficult. So I want to hear from you guys, whether it's superstitions that you have yourself or superstitions that your gymnasts have. Um, what are some examples that you guys might be dealing with either practice or competition? Right, so you have your gymnast do routines on everything. And sometimes yep. you start the other side facing the other wall. So oh. flipping that way. It was my worst nightmare. Yeah. Having to go the other way yeah. was my worst nightmare. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's funny, right? Because that's one of those things. But it prepares. And then you would get to a competition and there's high ceilings. Or there's chandeliers. Or there's, that was always... I hated that the most, <laughs> the high ceilings. Um, but yeah, having to go the other way, not letting that become such a deep-rooted thing. Because it is. Yeah. And it's, it's easy for them to say, well, this is what's comfortable. But meet day's not going to be comfortable. You're right. And that's something we often touch on, too, is I want your practice to be a similar competition, and I want your competition to be like practice. My goal, personally, is that they're not nervous at me. Yeah. So we, we do it in front of our yeah. At least I don't have to go the other way at my home beam. <laughs> like, I'll take this. And yeah, that's that's the goal. That you want practice. How can what can you do to put the pressure on? What can you do to make this feel uncomfortable? Because if not, their box starts getting smaller and smaller. And at first it's I can only do stuff this way. Now it's I can only do this stuff this way on this beam when you know in this situation like it just where are we drawing that line yeah 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 what else a similar kind of thing right now question do you have anything in any of the corners that feel scary to tumble towards like a tumble track or yeah. So is that some of the issue or not really? Um, with one of them. Okay. But it's, it's also they do their floor routine by digital markers instead of providing which way they should determine. Right. It's to me they're like the flags right. on the wall there. Right. I, I remember doing that too. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to pretend that like if I was at home, like this is where the stereo would be and this is where the tumble track would be and you had to kind of like map it out that way instead of, you're right, being able to do it. I mean, you start in a different corner. Do you? Yeah. So we shake it up on all the events. I would have struggled with you. I think that's a fantastic tactic. I would have struggled. <laughs> um, and I think, I think there's a difference there too. We're trying to figure out like, is there a realistic, for your girl that always flies out of bounds, is there a reason that she doesn't want to tumble into that corner? That's different than just saying, I need you to know, you know, maybe it's like, okay, we're gonna go out back in the grass and do your floor routine. Like, you need to know this just on your own. I don't want you, especially when you have tumbling passes to worry about, you shouldn't be worried about dance or patterns or where you are. Like, that will take you out of the moment quicker than anything else. What else? The beam is too, there are slippery beams. <laughs> I will vouch for it. But, but that being said, let's say we even give them that. Let's say there's a lot of chalk on that beam or, you know, we didn't have air conditioning in our gym. Like 
beams would sweat, we would sweat, like, it was gross. But, what are we gonna do, not, not train that day? Not compete that day? Like, what are we gonna do about it? And if you're straight, it doesn't matter if the beam's slippery. So, what do you have control over? I can make sure that I do my flight well. I can't hold back. If I hold back, I have more of a chance to slip and fall, which is a hard concept to convey that it feels safer to hold back. And I'm like, that's not what your brain knows how to do. That's not what your body's been training. So you need to go at that same capacity because when you hold back, because the beam's slippery, that's when you're gonna slip. You should teach that early though. Like right yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it is what it is. And also, you know, maybe it's not slippery. It's always the other factor. You know, it's just, it's, it's an excuse again. And it's kind of going back to like, okay, you know, maybe. But also, if you were straight, it wouldn't have mattered. I hope your insurance is really good. <laughs> Anything else? Do you guys have superstitions as coaches? No? That's good. I had superstitious coaches for the most part, but usually they kept it to themselves, which was good. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on is that, like, as coaches or whatever, as parents, like, okay, if you have your own things, you're not the one out there competing, but do not let your gymnast know about it. I learned about a lot of my coaches' quirks after the fact, like, going back to meets and watching them and realizing, like, huh. You always stand in that corner during bars. And you always clap your hands that way. And seeing it after the fact is kind of interesting. But he didn't let that bleed over to us. He was like, all right, I'm gonna go stand in that corner and I'm gonna go do my clap thing and uh, then you go. It wasn't, it wasn't affecting us. So in that regard, you know, let that be there. But it's hard if gymnasts try to rope other people into it and making sure you're not becoming a part of that. Right. <laughs> right. I, one of my coaches was, I'm telling a lot of my horse, I promise I had good meets from time to time, but I think it was regionals and it was warming up and I did, I was doing handspring layout on beam and I slipped my foot on the back handspring and just landed flat on my stomach on the layout, on the beam. And like, I don't really know like how that was even, how that happened. Um, I was straight. But um, but my coach was good about it, where he was like, well, I got it out of the way. Yeah. You know? He's like, you won't do that again. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, using that, you know, kind of as like a, a fun kind of thing. Because it's also like, you know, the extreme version of that is the girl being like, well, I had a good practice. What's going to happen tomorrow? You know, and I think oftentimes they don't take it to that level. Um, go ahead. Yeah. The hard thing in that, so so repeating that too, so like if some of your older girls have a lot of these superstitions, a lot of these rituals are really caught up in it, but you don't want the younger ones to jump on board. Saying something is not going to make a difference if they're still seeing that because they're looking up to these girls. I can't tell you how excited I was the first time I got a rip 
on my hand because I was, I was a real gymnast. I was like the big girls, you know, or when I needed my ankle taped, it was like the big girls, you know? So, so they're seeing that they're seeing that if I want to be an older, amazing gymnast, I need to have superstitions. I need to have that. So it's, I, I don't think that you shouldn't talk to them about that, but I think there's a conversation to be had there with your older ones to say, I don't think this is helping you. And I know for a fact it's not helping the younger ones. That you guys are my leaders in the gym and they look up to you, they respect you. They think you are incredible. And you're showing them something that might hurt them down the road. So kind of approaching this with them and, and bringing it to a different light and saying, kind of that, that positive perspective again of, I want you to own your gymnastics. I don't want you to, to attribute a good meet to something other than yourself. Because I see how hard you work every day in the gym. And when you go out there and have a good meet, you earned that. It wasn't the pasta dinner the night before that you have to have. You earned that. And I'm not saying that this is something that's going to happen overnight. Um, actually, let me go back because I think touching on these points and even bringing awareness to them um, about find it. this. So bringing awareness to why those superstitions come about and talking to them and saying, I get it. Like meat day is tough. It is hard to go out there and accept control, win, lose, or fail. Um, so there's, there's no guarantee. I, I understand that. I'm kind of going back to that. And that's where a lot of times through the mindset training as well, we're trying to partner troubleshooting with like, okay, you have a superstition. How can we get through this? While also building a strong mindset foundation as well. That what's underlying the superstitions. If nothing's ever there at face value, is it a lack of confidence? Is it crazy, crazy nerves on me day and this is their way to, to take control of that? Um, is it fear? Like what, where is that stemming from? And how can we help that on more of a core level also and help to build up some of the confidence and build up some of the relaxation exercises so that they don't have to rely on the superstitions as much. So to answer your question, I, I, I think you should absolutely, I think younger gymnasts, it's amazing how much they can grasp at such a young age. And we love working with I have quite a few 12 year olds on the program that are doing incredible because they're, they're taking it in, they're willing to make changes, and we're not gonna have to undo stuff down the road, undo bad habits. So the earlier the better, I think, in having those conversations, but also trying to do it from the top down. Yeah. You make such a good point with that too, with you know, positive affirmations. I had probably one of the weirdest coaching experiences ever this year. I had a 20-year-old, like six foot three math teacher, I don't quite even know, call me um, through a referral and he asked for a tumbling session because he wanted to learn a backflip in one week because he made a bet with a math student. spotting you. But he got it two days and it came from it's so crazy that the roles were totally reversed, but he's a 
but like I had a pep talk with like the level like threes, fours, and fives because they were like you know training one of the nights I was there, and I was like, listen, like he needs you and he looks up to you, and they're all like, oh my god, really? <laughs> and within you know five or ten minutes, like his whole mindset changed, so his superstitions that he developed in his own mind also shifted because we're human and we develop them. Yeah. Um, because of the positive affirmations from these girls, and like he said it after, we did not on them because they're like you know. extra responsibility because a lot yeah. of times we get stuck in that where they're like uh, we're just here doing our thing we we do this thing where we always look up we always look ahead we always think I have this far to go till I get here but very rarely are we looking back and saying this is how far I've come mm-hmm. they don't really yeah, yeah they don't realize that like they look like superstars to the lower level kids yeah they're looking and be like well you know, I still have to get this skill, or I'm not going to get that, or I mean, you know, I haven't gotten to level 10, or whatever it is, instead of giving themselves credit for that. Right. And one of my, one of my 12-year-olds, um, she said, I tell myself, whatever it was, I think it was like 7 to now. I said, okay. She goes, I started gymnastics when I was 7, and look how far I've come. And I said, I love that. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to tell other people to use that. And to hear that insight, again, I'm learning from these kids as well. I'm hearing their stories and hearing, like, you know, for her, on her rough days when she's struggling to get a new skill, she can remind herself that a couple years ago I couldn't even do a cartwheel. Absolutely. So. Definitely teaching a girl to speak nice of herself. Yes. It's huge. How our voice inside our heads matters. Um, and it's hard, it's, it can be hard to catch because you're not always hearing it, you know. But a lot of times you're, you're seeing it in the body language, you're seeing it in the training, you're seeing it on the face, you're hearing it with their teammates. And, um, yeah, really shifting that, that it's, it's crazy how that positive self-talk can actually have an impact. Um, so to kind of wrap up the, the superstition piece of things, um, the harmless parts of those silly superstitions are like, you know, it puts them in neat mode, that it's almost like a cue that, you know, when I do my hair this way, like this is my, this is my warrior hair <laughs> going out there to, to compete, um, that it's something that's kind of fun and lighthearted and they don't take too seriously. It's something that most importantly, they can do without not going to make or break the meat and it's kind of more of a tradition than like a need or a compulsion and they're in control of it so then the flip side being problematic when it's distracting when it's burning that mental energy when it makes them feel uneasy like they don't have it or they feel that compulsion to do it and they feel out of control in that regard and like I said you can have as many superstitions as you want You don't let that bleed over. Um, And then I'm happy to answer some more questions. I will run through a little bit to explain a little bit more about the Gymnast Mindset Program and what we do. Um, Let me check time here as well. So our program, like I said, we're not therapy, we're not lecturing, we're not counseling. 
we offer individual sessions where we work one-on-one -on -one with these girls, our mindset coaches and the girls, they work through, they do phone calls and work through these worksheets together. And a lot of times it's, you know, hey, what's been going on? Like I said, some of that troubleshooting um, and figuring out stuff. And then also I have a worksheet that applies to that. Let's work through this. Let's work on the mindset foundation. Um, and then the program options, depending, a lot of times, depending on the, the age and the level of the girl, we'll be doing like weekly or bi-weekly calls. Um, very rarely do we do monthly just because it's hard. We're doing a lot more undoing <laughs> on a monthly call than we're not really moving forward. So we try to stay away from that option. Um, we offer team packages as well. So we do have mindset coaches at a couple of different locations throughout the country. So we can drive to if we can, if we're in distance, but we also offer then Skype packages as well. And that's where you can choose over like the amount of sessions that you would want. We'll come in, we'll do worksheets with the girls, we'll talk with them. Um, and some of those package options also come with individual sessions as well. So if you know you have a girl or two that really needs a little extra personalized attention, we're happy to, to bundle that in too. So if you have girls that you feel like would really benefit from this, or you have girls that you feel like you know are close to that tipping point and you want to get them to the next level, we are happy to, to chat with them at any point. You can have parents reach out to us. Um, they can reach out to me directly. We do offer a free mindset session for new clients to kind of get a feel for like, what is this, um, you know, is this gonna be weird talking to a stranger on the phone? And I will tell you, a lot of times we just talk shop. You know, if, if I can get a girl talking about gymnastics, we're good to go. Um, I do have a handout that you guys can take here and you're welcome to like make copies of that, sit down with your gymnast, hand them out at practice, work through that superstitions worksheet together. Just a small sampling of something um, so that you can have something to take home to them as well. If you want like a digital copy that you can have moving forward, you can email me for that too. And there's all my information as well. You can always reach out. You are welcome to pass this along to um, any parents or gymnasts or anything like that. And um, we try to post a lot to social media as well. So if they wanna follow us there, hopefully that'll be helpful. Um, but in the last couple minutes here, do you guys have any other questions or I can always, um, chat with you guys after as well. Yeah. Have you ever seen like uh, superstitious habits become like something more like OCD? Yeah, and um, we have had that where like, sometimes it's outside of our realm, right? Where I'm looking at this and I'm saying, this is, this is beyond mindset coaching, this is, in need of therapy for anxiety or for OCD or you know some of those issues and that absolutely can be something you know that I will I'll reach out to the parents and say hey you know what like let's let's you know I'm happy to work in collaboration with this and I'm happy to address things but this this goes beyond the scope of what we're talking about yes, yes. there can be a lot of difficult family stuff going on yes. you don't yeah yeah, there can be a lot of other elements going on there. Um, and I think I think that is important to recognize, especially as you guys as a first line of defense for them as whole people and, and having those conversations and saying, you know, this is, 
this has gone beyond what I typically see. And I think, are you, and even bringing up that conversation, because she's probably really struggling in school with similar things. She's probably just really struggling overall if you're seeing a lot of those OCD tendencies. And it's not okay to stand there and say, you have OCD, all of these behaviors are fine. That's not the goal. I mean, working in the mental health field, our goal was like, sure, that label can be there, that diagnosis can be there, but that doesn't give you an excuse for the, the behaviors because it's not improving your quality of life. It's exhausting. And that's another key point, and maybe I'll leave you guys with that as well, that a lot of times relating to these gymnasts, that saying to them, I want this to be fun for you. Like, if you're having these mental blocks, if you're having these superstitions that you feel like are controlling you, if you're having this fear, if you're having this lack of confidence and the self-doubt, like, you're probably dreading going to practice every night. I don't want that for you. This should be fun again. Let's get it to the point where this is fun again. Is every second, every moment going to be fun about it? No, that's not life, right? But overall, hopefully you're having that positive experience. And putting that to them and saying, you know, I'm not here to yell at you and tell you you're doing all of these things wrong and that, you know, criticizing you for like, you know, why would you have a superstition that's dumb? I'm coming from it from the point of how can we make this easier for you? How can we make you not feel like you're going to puke before a meet? All right. All right. Let me hand out these. Um... And that is a wrap from today's podcast. I'm Gene Zanetti from Winning Mindset. Make sure you guys go to our website. Make sure you go to zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you buy the book. The ebook is great, excellent information, represents some of the great information that we've learned from top athletes working with some of the top teams and individuals all across the country. Go to our website, zwinningmindset.com. Make sure you get the ebook. Also, make sure as an individual you sign up for the one on one free trial consultation. That's the one on one free trial consultation with one of our mindset coaches. The best results always come from one-on-one -on -one attention, whether it's strength training, whether it's technique, or whether it's mindset. One-on-one -on -one is always the best. Thanks for staying with us. Make sure you join us next time for the next episode. Mindset makes the difference. Have a great day.